Good morning. I'm so glad you could be with me today in the Unfolding the Word ministry. Today marks one of those special days, special days where we end a book study, the other special days when we begin a book study. Today we end a book study. We are working our way through 1 John. And I want to pick up our reading today in chapter 5, starting in verse 18, some verses that we've already looked at. And particularly our focus today will be verse 21. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we might know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. In these final couple of verses, as we've talked about over the last couple of days, God is giving us a number of reminders, and he's using the word know as the characteristic of each of those reminders. A number of facts for us. The word know, in most cases in these verses I read to you, translates the Greek word adon, oida, which refers to factual knowledge. God says, I want you to have some facts that you hold on to no matter what your circumstances seem like, no matter where your emotions are at the moment. These are facts. These are stakes in the ground. These are things you can take to the bank. All images I've used with you. Number one, we can know that God will keep us safe in the midst of our trials. He's at work inside of us to lead us to deal with the trial properly. And at the same time, he is protecting us from the enemy who seeks to grab us and snatch us from his hand. Great hope in that. The second thing we learned about was the fact that we can know that the world culture, the system in which we live, the mindset, the worldview, all that surrounds us is ultimately under the control of the enemy of our souls. It is a product of the enemy's deceptive action. Everyone apart from Christ ultimately lies, as he puts it, in the power of the enemy. <laughs> He's in power now, but he will be taken care of in God's timetable of history. But God wants us to be realistic about the world as a result that we would obey his command in Romans 12, 2, to not be conformed to the world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Thirdly, we have the fact, and we know the fact, that Jesus Christ is the very Son of God, and that word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus Christ was real, he was the very Son of God, he was born, he lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and he's returning again. God says, I want you settled on the facts of it all, and that fact is crucial. Yesterday, we were looking at yet another of the facts that God is at work in us and in all mankind so that, that they might understand the truth and the implications of those facts. What does that mean? Through the working of the Holy Spirit, the hearts of people are convicted about the truth of the gospel. That conviction doesn't force them to respond. That's still our choice. But God ensures that that understanding is gained. And as a result, not only can we understand the gospel, but we are allowed to respond to it. 
And once having responded to it, we can begin to know him. That we may come to know him is the way it's described. In that particular case, the word know shifts from the Greek word adon to the Greek word gnosis, which refers to relational knowledge. And we ended with that comment that what God is really after in redeeming us as his children is that we would come to know him in relationship. He is not interested merely in saving us. He wants to grow us, and he wants us to be in deepened relationship with him. We were created for him, created for relationship with him. All right, great, amazing truths, wonderful facts to end our study. Verse 21 concludes the book with a challenge, a command challenge. And this is it. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. What a strange way to end the book, it would seem. But it's not really strange if you consider it. Here's the question I want to pose to you. How are you doing with the greatest of the commandments? And you say, well, what's that? Well, Jesus answered the question one time, what is the greatest of the commandments, by saying this. You are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. If you are not doing that, then you are, to differing degrees, committing idolatry. <laughs> are you loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, none of us does that, which is why we needed Christ to die for us. But nonetheless, God still holds that down as his intention and goal for all of our lives. He says, I want to be first place in your life. And anything that you allow to be first place instead of me is an idol in your life. Let's go on on this issue of idolatry. And idolatry is defined as worshiping something or someone other than the God who is really there, the God of the scriptures. Not everyone who says they are worshiping the God of the scriptures is really worshiping the God of the scriptures because their understanding of that God is very corrupted. We commit idolatry if our image of God in our mind is not an accurate one. That's the whole purpose for the scriptures, self-revelation from God. God explains to us who he is. He explains to us what he is like. And he does all of that to correct the distortions that exist in everyone's mind. All of us have our brains tainted with idolatrous images of God. And as we get into God's word, God's involved in a work of correcting such images. And the more we grow in the word, the more we grow to really understand the God who is there. And the more that we really understand the God who is there, the more we're worshiping him in truth, in spirit, and in truth. And the more cleansed we become in our thinking from all of the false understandings of God that are there, fostered by a fallen world, fostered by our own wishes, and certainly fostered by the enemy of our soul. We need corrected, or we will be idolaters to some degree. But we must be willing to accept God's self-revelation in the scriptures. 
We must be willing to make corrections in our understanding of God based on what the scripture tells us. I mentioned so often to you people that will say to me, well, I don't see God that way when I'm talking to them about what the word of God says. And the answer to that is appropriately this. Well, I'm sorry that you're committing idolatry. God has revealed himself to be this way. If you don't see him that way, you're worshiping an idol. Get it corrected. Admit it to God and correct your thinking. God gives us the facts of the scriptures so that we might see him accurately. To the degree that we don't get into the word, to that degree we're inevitably going to have a corrupted vision of God, a corrupted vision of God that in practice is an idolatrous vision of God. Pretty serious stuff, isn't it? To what degree have you been letting your mind be renewed by the word of God? Purpose of unfolding the word ministry is to get you involved verse by verse in what God has revealed so that your mind can be renewed. You can see God as he's revealed himself to be. Romans 12, 2 challenges you, don't be conformed to the world in the way the world looks at things. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How's that renewing of your mind going to happen? By the word. The word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says it teaches us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, it trains us. We need the word. Now, why does God end the epistle this way? All of those amazing teachings we've been looking at, why does he summarize it all and end it in this challenge to keep ourselves from idols? And the answer to that is that God knows exactly the world that you and I live in. He knows that idolatry and the temptation toward idolatry is a continuing struggle for every believer. And I've already indicated to you that idolatry can take two forms. Number one, it can take the form of having a wrong picture of God, a wrong image of God in our mind. And the word is what helps correct that. But idolatry can also take the form of worshiping something else other than God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The world around us, the society in which we live, is filled with things offered to us as the solution, the answer to our life, the way we're going to find happiness and meaning. Idolatrous options abound. And God says, don't take them. Believe I am the one worthy of loving and following with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Ignore the other options. To the degree you take them, you are idolatrous. To the degree you maintain a false image of who I am, you are idolatrous. So brothers and sisters, keep yourself from idolatry. Well, join me tomorrow and we will begin yet another book of the Bible, Lord willing, and begin verse by verse unfolding it so that we might see God as he has revealed himself to be in the scriptures. What a blessing is ours to have access to what God has actually said. God bless.